talking about the end of the world. We need some prayer. <clears throat> Father, we do come to You and uh, thank You that, uh, Jesus, You promised that when we gather together in Your name that You'd be present. And so we acknowledge Your presence here in our midst. Uh, Lord, I pray that each and every person here would be touched by You and experience You in some way. Lord, help me communicate uh, what You've laid on my heart and help each and every one of us uh, with open hearts and minds receive what's from You, Lord, and be able to discern what's right and wrong and, and cling fast to the good and reject the evil. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, <clears throat> yeah, I'm talking about the end of the world. and I, I started, uh, uh, not last week because we had a guest minister, but uh, the week before, kind of introducing the idea and... And rather than uh, just as, as a reminder, you know, going into the details of the various scenarios that have been proposed over the years as to the sequence of events that lead up to the end, I'm actually going to talk about what happens at the end or after the end. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the first time I talked about the, the reality of judgment to come. And Jesus is going to return, and when He does, there will be judgment. Um, uh, to come, <clears throat> and, and, and again, in a series like this, you can only touch on a few points. I could literally teach for a year on on so many different aspects of, of the end times or or or, um, or judgment and heaven and hell. So we're really going to just touch on some things. And um, <clears throat> today I'm going to be talking about a real popular subject. Actually, I've never preached on this my whole life. I've been a pastor for 25 years. Uh, I've never preached on hell. So, i got to get into my Baptist mode here. <laughs> no offense to the Baptists. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Hell damnation! Pentecostal maybe, how about that? <clears throat> Eternal fire! Okay, <clears throat> so just so you know, I have it in me. <laughs> I'm going to try to avoid that actually. Um, and, and look at, at the ideas concerning how and some realities that I think are pertinent. Um, you know, there hasn't been any new ideas about hell in, I, I would say, at least 1,500 years of theological study. There really hasn't... Now, there's been new books. There was a popular book about a year ago that sold millions. You know, But there hasn't been any new ideas. And that's uh, what is so disturbing is that People read a book and they think it's a new idea, and it's really not a new idea. It's like we settled that in the you know 400 A.D. Really, but because people don't read history and are not uh, trained in that, they don't know the answers that have been been really thought out for centuries. <clears throat> if you want a really good uh, understanding, and it's kind of probably hard to see on this. It's called Erasing Hell, and it's by Francis Chan. Was a great author, and Preston Sprinkle uh, worked together. That's the name of the book, Erasing Hell, What God Said About Eternity and the Things We've Made Up, is, is, the, is the byline. <clears throat> a very, very thorough book um, that uh, kind of delves into the different ideas, and I, I'm drawing from that book as well as many other sources in, in today's talk. So, you know, <clears throat> how many like to talk about hell? Huh? What do you like to think about hell? You know, people say go to hell all the time. 
Yeah, but they say God can't say that. You know, people get upset if you say God's going to say go to hell. They walk around telling, they think they can tell people to go to hell all the time. Wait just a minute here. Sounds like a double standard. How about this one? I could never love a God that would send someone to hell. You know? I could never love a God that could send someone to hell. In fact, I've struggled with that. How could we love a God that would send someone to a place of eternal punishment? Come on. That doesn't seem fair. You know, and, and the real question, listen, if you're talking with someone or if you're struggling with this yourself, <clears throat> don't just dismiss it as though it were trying to avoid the issue. It really is the issue. Okay? The question expresses a valid point and in fact is a door that you can open up in the discussion that you can walk right in. Okay? But if you see it as just someone trying to push you away, and that may be what they're doing intentionally, uh, they may not realize it, um, you can actually lead the discussion in, in, a, in, a, in a healthy and deeper way. Because what's really being expressed in that, in that statement is a concern for justice. Isn't it? It's a concern for justice. It's a reaction to perceived injustice. I couldn't love a God that would send someone to eternal hell. Oh, so they're, they're making a judgment against God. You know, saying that that would not be just. That's really what they're saying. Now, first of all, this is one I'm just going to hit on a few things. I, I wish I could just delve into how you could respond, but that would take um, more time than I have. But, uh, you know, the first question to ask is, why do you assume that there should be justice? Where does that idea come from? Who says there has to be justice? You ever think about that? Do you know that that is one of the proofs of God's existence? People want a proof of God's existence. It's a universal desire and expectation in mankind for justice, for good, from which we get the word God. That there must be good. How can we judge? Here's the next question. How can you or I judge a God we can't even comprehend by a justice system we ourselves are incapable of keeping. You say it's unjust to send someone to hell. And you have a cry for justice. So, let me ask you, how just have you been living? And let's look at the world right now. How good at we, as a human race, how good are we at keeping justice? You think? Yeah. Lousy. You know, in America, we kind of have a, we have a, uh, it seems like everything's good. But if you look deep, you know what? It's horrendous. And we're probably the best country, living standard wise, there is. 
You know, when you look at other uh, places in the world, people are starving. People are dying. Is it just that we have, we spend more money in America on diet pro- programs and foods than most uh, uh, nations spend on food? Is that just? <laughs> Excuse me? Hello? Any amens there? I think it's unjust. It's not fair. It's not right that we have to decide, you know, which kind of lettuce we're going to buy. You know, and we get frustrated at which cut of beef, you know. When I know people that only eat every other day because there just isn't food to eat. All right? That's not a fair world. So, how can we judge God? So this question, I can't love a God who will condemn people to hell, is a cry for justice. And then again, if we say God can only send people uh, to hell that we think are evil, evil enough, then it becomes a very slippery slope. All right? And inevitably will end in gross injustice. In other words, if you talk about hell, people will say, you ask them, well, who should go to hell? And, you know, it always ends up with Hitler. It's going to be Hitler and Mao Zedong and, 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 and the other guy from Russia. What was his name? Huh? Stalin. Yeah, those guys. And maybe the Jeffrey Dahmer guy. You know? <laughs> Four guys in hell. <laughs> you know? And so we want to... We want to come up with the justice system, but we're not even able to keep our own justice system because we know we violate that ourselves all the time. It's, you know, it's, it's, so in, in answering the question or the cry of your own heart, how can I love a God that would send someone to hell? It's better to say, I don't like the idea. I'm uncomfortable. And you should be uncomfortable with the idea of sending people to hell. You can say, I don't understand it. But I can comprehend that an infinite God who is both infinitely merciful and just is far more capable than I of determining the eternal state of each and every person, including myself. Alright? I don't understand it. I may not like the idea, but I can grasp and I can actually embrace the idea that there's someone out there who does understand it, who is just and merciful that can make that decision and, and, and about someone's eternal destiny, and it's not me. All right? And answer that cry for justice. I actually respond to that question this way. I don't think you would love a God that did not send people to hell. <clears throat> I really believe this. Now, I've thought about this for years. And I hope you don't understand this by the next, in the next 25 minutes. <clears throat> because if you do, you haven't thought about it long enough. I want you to think about this question for the next couple of years. All right? Because that's how deep it is. You have to really think it through. Would you love a God that would not send people to hell? If there was not a place of eternal judgment, would you really love that kind of a God? Is that the kind of God you would worship? And I challenge you... I don't think it is. If you could step back and really look at the condition of humanity and, and place yourself in the, in the right perspective, the idea of eternal punishment 
is not contrary to God's mercy and love. It is complementary. You can't understand God's love, the depth of it, unless you also understand the depth of His justice. It's not one or the other. God is one. He's always one. He responds in ultimate love and ultimate justice in the same expression. All right? Okay. So, let's think about this. Right now, somewhere in the world, possibly within this city, a ruthless businessman is taking advantage of an unwitting client and laughing about it. Well, that's not so bad. Someone right now in the world, in fact, there's probably thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, right this very second is being beaten up and maybe killed. Just, just what, a year or two ago, some guy was walking down the street out near Goebbels, I think it was. Some kids pulled over and started beating him with a bat. A bat! Beat him so bad, he ended up dying. As far as we know, they didn't even know each other. Beat up just because of the way they look, the color of their skin, the way they talk or think, simply because of the traits that they were born with. Someone is being beaten right now and they're crying out to God. And someone is beating and they're doing it out of anger. Who knows? Right now, all over the world, a woman is being forced to sell her body. Not just one. Millions of them. Right now, Listen, this is reality. Children are being raped. Not just children. In, there's a child. In Asian countries, it's called the sex tourism. They go over just to, to, to rape little children. To have sexual encounters with little children. How do, you, how do you feel about that? And that could go on and on. The perpetrators may be gloating and proud and defiant. Or perhaps they're caught in in their own cycle of evil consequences that's fallen on them. Maybe they're deeply sorrowful, but they they can't escape the repetition of the cycle of their actions. Wow! Understand that God is gracious. He's merciful beyond comprehension. And even as humans, if someone commits even a heinous act, but then they, they realize how bad it was, and they genuinely demonstrate heartfelt repentance, and they take responsibility for their actions, there's a way to, for, to forgiveness and a, and a way out, right? right? A good person, given the right circumstances or temptations, A good person is able to commit evil. And an evil person, given the right opportunity, can do incredibly good things. Right? You know, you could have a despot, you know, just a horrible person walking down the street and there's a burning building and in a a moment he just runs in and grabs a kid. You know, but he still may be a drug addict or a pimp or something like that that's abusing women and, and abusing people. You know? A good person can do evil things. And an evil person can do good things. So how do we sort it all out? 
Well, the answer is we don't. We need a God that is infinitely merciful and infinitely just and understands all of the complexities of each individual's lives so that He can come in and personally decide and choose the consequences and the path of that individual's life. That's why it takes an infinite God. But if someone that was a perpetrator of these kind of things that I just talked about, listen, if someone was evil and bent to the degree in their soul of doing evil to the point that even God in all of His power and love was unable to draw them out from being a type of individual that does evil and even craves for evil, would it be just to not hold those individuals accountable? Hmm. Would you love someone who would tolerate and permit such behavior? Would you you love... You know one of the primary themes in the entire Bible is justice? Justice. And it doesn't get preached a lot. But you read through the Old and the New Testament. And what God is all interested in is justice. There is going to be a time of reckoning for every act, every word, every thought. Because God's love demands that. It's an expression of His love. He is the judge that's going to come in and make right and rescue the child that's being sexually abused right now. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> he, is the, he is the defender. He's going to come in to the, the woman that's being raped right now. And He's going to make that right. And I would not love a God who would not come in and stand up for those who have been beaten and killed through injustice. He is the hero that every other fictional hero you know points to. And He can actually come in and rescue individuals and even rescue uh, civilization and humanity after the point of death. You think, oh, but that child died and never got rescued. I'm telling you, it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Oh, He got away with it. You know, there's many Scriptures that talks about don't fret about evildoers. Their day will come. Oh, He got away with it. Oh, you just wait. Because there's going to be a day when King Jesus rides in the town. And He's going to have a sword this time. Alright? To mete out justice. And I would not love a God who would not deal justly with those individuals that corrupt and take advantage of the weak and the helpless. Even now, the major argument against belief in the existence, uh, belief in God is the existence of evil. You know, it goes, it says, if there's an all-powerful, all-good God, how could He allow evil to exist? How many have heard that? Right? Oh, you know, I've heard people say it to me countless times. Yet, when God tells us His plan to bring justice to that very evil that they're concerned about, it's rejected because they believe it's unjust. You know, how can evil exist with an all-powerful, all-knowing God? I mean, listen, He's going to take care of it. You just don't like the way He's going to take care of it. Because He's going to deal with your evil first. 
the cry behind both of these arguments is a cry for justice. And that's real. True justice is why Jesus came. He's the only one that can bring it into the world. Okay, so what did Jesus teach about hell? Let's turn to John 3.16. How about that for a verse on hell? John 3.16 For God, This is a familiar verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. I'm reading from the New King James. Uh, Because he who has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God Oh, I missed something. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So the reason Jesus came was this love This concept is implementation of love, ultimate love, and ultimate justice. If there is no real condemnation, then not only is this verse deceptive, Jesus' whole ministry is unnecessary. Okay? So those who claim there's not an eternal hell are saying ultimately that this verse, John 3.16 and following, is really deceptive, and that Jesus' whole ministry was really unnecessary. Wow. Real consequences required that Christ come and suffer and die. Why was it so vivid? Why did Jesus have to die in such a graphic way? Because God wanted to communicate the, how, how intense and, 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 and horrible the consequence of sin is so that we would have it visualized in our mind what sin causes intense, horrific suffering. <clears throat> so the real consequences, the consequences of sin required that Jesus come and suffer and die and demand that people accept Christ as their Savior, and and that what He did on the cross is uh, 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 satisfying the the need of justice for them personally, or they will, as this verse about uh, love states, um, they will stay in their condemnation. So John 3.16 is about God's love, but it's also about condemnation. And what is the condemnation? What is really what? What does condemnation mean? Well, he tells us right here. The condemnation is that men, women, people loved, and the word "loved" there is agape. It's God love, but they didn't. They didn't agape God. They agape darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The issue is where their heart was where they placed their love. And their love was invested in darkness and their deeds were evil. So you can see a clear contrast between the destiny of those who embrace God's love, 
expressing as in, in the person of Christ and light, and those who, who end up having eternal life, and those who love darkness, who perish and are condemned. Amen? Is that what this verse teach? Those who believe and follow Christ, eternal life. Those who don't, uh, they're condemned already, and they'll have, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, they will suffer condemnation. So what will this look like? Matthew 25:41. I referred to this in my first message in this in this series. Uh, Matthew 25. This portion of Matthew is not a parable. Jesus says, "When the Son of Man returns," in verse 31, and this is continuing. I'm going to begin in verse 41 through 46. Talk about it for a few minutes. It says then, <clears throat> Matthew 25:41 in the New King James. Then he, Jesus, will say to those on his left hand. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And did that minister to you? Well, we didn't know. And he will answer saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of these, least of these, the rest of humanity, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. So the whole point of the end is not about the sequence that happens up to the end that people have been arguing and the church splits over and they hate one another because they don't can't agree with seven years or fourteen years. I'm like who cares? Because afterwards it's eternal destiny, and that eternal destiny is going to be either, either everlasting punishment or eternal life, right? Okay, so that's why I'm focusing on that. And if you want to talk about the end times, I can talk to you about it forever. <laughs> let's see. Let's let's uh, zero in on this. Just because he uses figurative language, sheep and goats, does not mean it's not true. Okay? It doesn't mean it's a parable. You know, if I say, you know, the runner stole third and ran home, you understand exactly what that means. And it's true. He didn't actually steal third place. And he didn't run home to his house. But it communicates truth, actually in a more accurate way than if I tried to explain it in detail. So let's zero in on this word eternal and everlasting. Uh, because that's the real controversy. Are people who reject Christ and die in their sin really going to suffer forever? And I'm going to tell you, I don't like this idea. I find it repugnant. I find it difficult and painful. I'm personally not afraid of it because I have a Relationship with Jesus Christ, I, I, my trust is in Him, but I fear for I fear it for so many others. He says in verse forty-one, then then He will say to those on the left hand, "Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels." Uh, and these will go into everlasting punishment. Verse forty-six, but the righteous into eternal life. It's vital that we understand that hell in the sense of everlasting fire, was designed for the devil and his angels. 
It was not designed for mankind. All right? So this is, this is a punishment designed for the eternal uh, being uh, or the, uh, the uh, immortal being called the devil and, th- and, uh, and those who followed him in a rebellion in heaven. And only those who follow the devil will end up where he's going. Just as those who follow Christ will end up with Christ. Alright? <clears throat> now some argue that this does not mean that they will suffer eternally, but that the fire is eternal. They'll be thrown into a fire. If you throw a stick into a fire, the stick doesn't last forever, even though you can keep the fire going for a long time. Right? <clears throat> so, so, so some people believe that that's what that means. Or that the fire... Now this is, this is actually... Again, they've been talking about this for 2,000 years. Some people think, well, that's the refining fire of God. That's going to purify them of all remnant of sin. Oh, is that what's going to happen to the devil? You might want to talk to the Mormons, because that's what they believe. Hello? Hello? Hello, anybody in here? Um, let me read from a commentary. The original word translated here, punishment, means torment, suffering inflicted for crime. It denotes anguish and suffering. It does not mean simply a state or condition, but absolute positive suffering. Um, so if you want to redefine the word that Jesus chose to describe hell, you can do that. But then you'll have to answer to him when you, when you approach him. Alright, let me just keep going. Don't, don't tune me out yet. <clears throat> In regard to the meaning of the word everlasting, think about this. It literally means always belong. They will always belong in this everlasting fire. They will belong there forever. The original word everlasting, I found this very interesting for uh, you guys that are more, more word geeks may get into this. Um, the original word uh, used in the New Testament for everlasting is used 66 times. Of these, 51 instances of the use is used of the happiness of the righteous. So the happiness of the righteous will be everlasting. In two, it's referred to the God's existence as being everlasting. In six, of the church and the Messiah's kingdom. Uh, and in the remaining seven, the future punishment of the wicked. If in these seven instances we attach to the word the idea of limited duration, consistency requires that the same idea of limited duration should be given it in the 51 cases of its application to the future glory of the righteous, to the two instances of the application of God's existence, and the six cases of its appropriation to the future reign of the Messiah and the glory of and perpetuity of the church. Get it? So, if you're going to use the word the way it's used in context, that means God's not... His existence isn't eternal. And heaven's not eternal. So, you have to deal with that. You can't just skip over it. Now, let me get a little, I think, an even more powerful argument. Jesus knew what He said would produce a a reaction of fear. He was a smart guy. He was a good teacher. Right? Even those who don't believe Him will say He's a good teacher. Well, this is what He taught. 
And if he taught this to produce a false fear, he would be a liar. And he would be, a, he would be manipulative. And let's step back for a minute. This would mean that he's lied to and manipulated billions of people. There's two billion Christians on planet Earth right now. Not counting all of the previous Christians. So Jesus is guilty of lying to and deceiving and manipulating billions of people. Based on this, He deserves to go to hell. Come on. Right? So do you think Jesus is lying? Do you think he's just, No, I think He's telling us the truth. And He knew. Do you know that the prevalent understanding of hell in Jesus' culture in His day was a place of torment that lasted forever. Now, Jesus wasn't afraid to confront wrong beliefs. He did it His whole ministry. But not once in the New Testament does He confront this belief as being erroneous or wrong. He doesn't say, don't, you know, it's said of old that you'll suffer in hell forever, but I say unto you, you know, it'll end in a moment. Yeah. No. He says they'll go to everlasting punishment. Right. <clears throat> now, There's a debate about what happens to a person's soul between the moment of death and resurrection. There is going to be a resurrection. That's a whole other sermon or a teaching, and I have lots of ideas about that. But the point is, there is going to be a resurrection, and there's going to be a judgment. And at that judgment, each and every person will be put into either eternal life or eternal damnation. Okay. What's important is that we understand that. I believe... The Bible teaches that God created mankind as an eternal spirit being, an immortal spirit being uh, that is meant to live in a physical body. Okay, It's very key. It's very orthodox theology. I'm not making this up. I'm not a cult. Okay? This is as orthodox, as straight, bare bones, basic Christianity as you can get, that we are eternal, uh, that we are immortal spirits, <clears throat> Yeah, meant to indwell in a physical body, right? And I believe that we're we're always meant to dwell in a physical body. Um, and one thing that God cannot do is contradict Himself. And so, if He created us as eternal spirits in His image uh, and placed us in a physical body, then we will be. And so, the idea of annihilation would contradict God's purpose and the clear meaning of Jesus' teaching. Annihilation is the belief that evil people at the end will just be eliminated. They won't exist anymore. Alright? God will just squish them like a bug. Alright? And that may sound more nice, but in my definition of nice, that's wicked. Because those... Those people raped children. Okay? Or unrepentantly. Okay? Or deceived millions. Or killed or stole or hated in the core of their being. Rejected the love of God. Rejected Christ. Alright? It gets down to what is love. 
It doesn't mean I like that they're going to be suffering. God did everything He could to rescue each and every individual from that, that destiny. But they rejected every, every act that God did to rescue them. Would it be true, would it be just if the reward for following Christ was eternal, but the punishment for living evil was momentary or non-existent? Would that be just? I would say no. That doesn't make sense. And it denies the definition of what it means to be human. To think that we just can... I mean, why didn't God just do that to the devil? Just think, if He'd annihilated the devil, there wouldn't have been the fall. Why didn't God just annihilate the devil? Because God created him to be immortal. And if God created him to be immortal, God doesn't change His mind. He can't do what He doesn't want to do. Does that make sense? He's created you to be immortal. Your spirit to be immortal. Your body will die that you're in now, but He's promised everyone, evil and good, a new body in the resurrection. I talked about that two weeks ago. Alright? And the question is, where is your destiny? Where are you going to spend eternity? With Him or with the devil? And it depends on who you're following in this life. Simply put. Alright? The big question is, how do we respond to this teaching? And, and if you're conscious, <laughs> if you're awake, if you're really uh, hearing what I'm saying, you should be disturbed. You should be... In fact, you know, when, you, when I think about this, I get sick to my stomach. The author of the book, Erasing Hell, talks about it. He says, if, if what I'm writing is true, should I even be writing this book? I should be out talking to people because he wrote it in Starbucks you know he's got all these people standing around me some of them are going to hell am I wasting my time do I really believe this and my question is to you do you really believe this I really believe this I believe it's the point of life is 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 whether we're going to end up with Christ eternally in paradise or with the devil trapped in our own condemnation, our own love of darkness and evil. <clears throat> now, just, just a, there's a lot of misconceptions about hell. And uh, again, I can't go into everything, but you know, the devil's not in charge in hell. It was a prison built for him. Okay? And demons won't torment you in hell. Okay? They are going to be just as tormented. Right? What's going to torment people in hell is the sin that they take in there with them. And there's going to be the absence of all of God's goodness. And, they're going to, and their prayer of God leave me alone is going to be answered. And, and figurative language is used like everlasting fire, eternal darkness, gnashing of teeth and weeping. All those are figurative language. We don't really know what it's going to look like. But I know that every good, everything that's good is an expression of God's goodness. And God's going to withhold that because they don't want it. And then they're going to realize their eternity is the absence of everything. I was sitting in a, in a restaurant and a guy at the bar was talking to somebody else. He said, I'd rather, they were having a theological discussion. I wanted to get in it. 
but they were both kind of tipsy, and I, I gave up arguing with drunks years ago. <coughs> but he said, you know, I'd rather go to hell anyway, because that's where all my buddies are going to be. He said, we'll kick back a few down in hell, and we'll have fun. And I thought to myself, you know what? Never in the Bible is alcohol mentioned in hell. But you know, Jesus said he'd have a drink of wine in heaven. <laughs> I felt like saying, hey buddy, the booze is going to be in heaven. <laughs> I mean, if that helps, maybe it's good. I should have told him, you know. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you like wine, get line up for heaven, man. Ain't going to be no, hell is dry. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to the Baptist. <laughs> I gotta finish. <clears throat> All right, do we believe this teaching of Jesus, or is this idea of heaven and hell just a fairy tale that makes going to funerals easier? Well, it makes it easier if you know. So, oh, they're in heaven now with Jesus. They're in heaven with Jesus. Oh, are they? How well did you know that person? We don't really know. But we know that there's hope and there's opportunity if you respond now. What it should do is motivate you and I to live the great commandment, to love others, right? And to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and and to fulfill the great commission which is to tell this news, this news, this is the Gospel that Jesus told. Not just, I mean, it's good to build houses and feed people, and I'm all into that. We do that. We do that so that they can hear this. Alright? This is good news. We'll do whatever we can to help people change their destiny and make sure our destiny is with Christ, with Him forever. Uh, That we're going to live the promise of that new life. And that promise is the topic of, of next week's message. Actually, this is a funny series because every other week I'm gone. I'm going to be, I'm going to be camping. Up. I'm going to be in paradise if the weather's nice <laughs> next week. So you're going to have to wait two weeks to hear about the, the promise of eternal life and what that's going to look like. And, and, and I bet you're going to be challenged uh, because we are not going to be sitting on clouds playing harps. Bill. <clears throat>